I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On this week's episode, we investigate one of the strangest mysteries of Soviet-era Russia, Will causes a search party of parents to go looking for a yeti in the Wexford woods. He gets an unwanted present from his cousin and he regales us with a traditional Russian folk song. Join us for Mysteries of the Unexplained. What's cracking? Not much. Can I ask you a question before we begin? Well, if you were a product I had bought in a shop, right? Just an inanimate <laughs> object, and I was returning you to the shop. Why? Why do you think I'd be returning you? What would be the reason? I don't. I don't know. Sure, I'm only the product. I can't talk. I think you, the person with the problem, should. I don't know. This is this. This was a trick question because now I get to ask you all the shit things about me and you've just tricked me into asking you that. Unfit for purpose. How are you today? <laughs> I'm absolutely tip top. I am tip top 100% mad to get out in the sun because it's sunny in Ireland today and I'm going to go to the beach and get in for a swim even though it'll be minus I don't know what in the water. But I am... Great, we've been doing farmers markets here in Ireland, which has been like a bit of crack, hasn't it, Will? We've been kind of, of enjoying it, mm. and kind of making our fa- faces at each other <laughs> across the little aisle over to each other's stall. I've been like, hey, yeah, do you know when you can just look at a person? Mm. Do you know when you can just look at a person and mm. like, like, be like, try and make them laugh while they're trying to sell something to a customer? I love doing that with disdain and. Uh... <laughs> It's easier, it's easier to make faces at someone as well when you have to wear masks because you can really, you can really, you know, hide that kind of, well, I'm usually mouthing, fuck you, fuck you, but you can't see that. Oh yeah, but I know by just your eye movement. I know what you mean just by the eye yeah, movement. Know, and then you're I like, you then you then you put on your posh voice to the women buying smelly candles off you and you're like, oh hello, are you fruity or are you flowery? 
<laughs> okay, you need to go to the hospital because that did not happen and you're making up imaginary scenarios now. You absolutely have posh selling voice. Now, Will, you're going to have to simmer down there because we have an absolute litany of things to get through today. And at top of the list is... We need to say thank you to a few people who've hopped on the Patreon this week and we have to say thank you so much. We have been just touched, touched deep down below the belts by your kindness in the last few weeks and I want to say a special thanks to a beautiful name and that name is Janique, which we actually did have to put in a how you pronounce thing before we started the podcast. Janique is definitely a very luxurious name. Whenever I saw the name Janique, I just thought pageant and I just thought ladies you are going to have to turn in your music before 5pm no Lady Gaga rain on me has already been taken by (laughs) Cece LaBelle so you are going to have to choose a different ladies could you please simmer down I am telling you the rules I did think that it is such a beautiful, uh, luxurious name. You're going to have to tell us what is your party is. piece at the beauty pageant and what song would you sing? And will you have a little Patreon to say hello to as well? Yes. And I want to say a big thank you to Monica McAvoy, who signed up this week as well. Thank you so, so much. much. And we did do a little announcement that we'll now have Weird Wednesday episodes every week on our Patreon account. So if you want to sign up, you'll get them every Wednesday and also bonus content. Absolutely. And we're releasing them on Wednesday to get you over hump day. Wednesday is that day of the week where you just need something to come along and give you a little kiss on the cheek. And that's what our Patreon episode is going to be here. Come here as well. I have to say a special thanks to all our Facebook pals, um, everyone in the group there, because every time we ask for questions for the ask, will ask any section, he's just come back so quick with gas stuff. And I got an absolute like fucking list of them today off you guys. So we better to get into this bitch and I've got a really 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 cool story for you today that I you know how long we've been doing this nearly two years and I come across these stories and I'm like why didn't I know about this like this is one of those stories interesting and I have to say that I'm very excited because this incident took place in the Soviet nation back in 1958 and I know that well you have a special talent for doing the old Russian accents I have highlighted little bits along here that I'm going to have to ask you to help me on pronunciation because I know you're fluent in that as a second language Oh, thank you very much. Yes, I am fluent in it as a second language. Um, I have the accent in which I pronounce some of the words is from a very secluded region in um, Russia as well. So it might not be even common to the ears of Russians themselves. (laughs) Yes, only if you're from this very uh, unique and unspecified area of that huge nation. Um, Come on then, we'll jump into this. This is called the Dyatlov Pass incident. Are you aware? I am aware of this, Annie, but I would love to hear your telling of it. Pipe down then before we go. The Dyatlov Pass incident. In late 1958, Igor Dyatlov began planning a winter expedition that would exemplify the boldness and vigour of a new Soviet generation. An ambitious 16-day cross-country ski trip in the Urals, the north-south mountain range that divides western Russia from Siberia, and thus Europe from Asia. 
He was an inventor and a devotee of the wilderness and had been on and indeed led many extended trips into the vast Russian wilderness in the preceding years. He submitted his proposal to the sports club of his university, which readily approved it. Dyatlov's itinerary lay 350 miles north of Svlerdlovsk in the traditional territory of the Manzai, an indigenous people. Though largely Russified at the time, the Manzai continued to pursue a semi-traditional way of life, hunting, fishing and reindeer herding. I'm just going to check that I'm recording because sometimes, you know, in life you get the, <sighs> you just get these little pangs of terror and you're like, did I press the button? She didn't do it, she pressed the button. Thank you, I returned to the story. Thank you, back to the studio. <laughs> oh my God. Dyatlov's group would ski 200 miles on a route that no Russian, as far as anyone knew, had taken before. The mountains were gentle and rounded, their barren slopes rising from a vast burial forest of birch and fir, like a gentle bosom. The challenge wouldn't be rugged terrain, but brutally cold temperatures, deep snow and high winds would prevail. Challenging, no doubt, but with experienced outdoors people, very doable, in theory. Dyatlov recruited his classmate... (laughs) (laughs) Zina Kolmorgorva. Beautiful. And seven other fellow students and recent graduates... They were among the elite of Soviet youth and all highly experienced winter campers and cross-country skiers. One was Dyatlov's close friend... Georgi Krizvistrochinko. <laughs> who worked as an engineer at the Mayak nuclear complex in the then secret town of Chelyabinska 4-0. You have to call your towns a number back in the day in Soviet-era Russia. <laughs> Jug-eared, small and wiry, he told jokes, sang and played mandolin. Well, give us a little, you know, give us a little bar. Sing, bit down. I think he actually released that as a single back in the day. I think so too. And two other recent graduates were... Rustim Slobidjin and <laughs> Nikolai Thrybalt Brignols of French descent whose father had been worked nearly to death in one of Stalin's camps. The other students included Yuri Yodin, Yuri Doroskinko, and Alexander Kloverdovdatov. <laughs> You, I, I always forget how beautiful your Russian accent is. The youngest of the group at 20 was the girl. Linda Dabinia. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Linda and the youngest of the group. I'm actually It's Irish. actually Ludia Dubininia. No, it's Linda Dabinia is my name. I'm Irish. I'm actually from Dublin originally. It's actually Linda, where are we? <laughs> An economics major, a track athlete, and an ardent communist. I love running. <laughs> I love running. <laughs> and I love the Marxist. <laughs> an ardent communist who wore her long blonde hair in braids tied with silk ribbons. Extensions, extenos, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Got me extenos done because I'm going on a mad cross country ski and all. <laughs> 
On a previous wilderness outing, Dubinina had accidentally been shot by a hunter and survived, quite cheerfully it was said, a 50 mile journey back to civilization. A couple of days before the group was due to set off, the college administration unexpectedly added a new member, much older than the others and largely unknown to them. A 37-year-old veteran of the Second World War with an old-fashioned moustache, stainless steel crowns on his teeth and tattoos. Oh my God, he is like, he's my ideal man. Simeon Zororatapishoff. <laughs> Oh my god. Jesus Christ. I totally, totally would. I haven't even seen a picture of him. Sorry, how basic are you? See, just because he has a moustache, stainless steel crowns on his teeth, and a tattoo. Yeah. That's he, your checklist. Yeah. Your ideal man. Yeah, he's gangster. Wow. Continue. Wow. <laughs> wow. You haven't seen some of my Tinder dates. <laughs> the party left Svetl. I don't know how to say this. The party left Svr... Can you pronounce this? Yes, you stupid bitch. It is Slervisk. <laughs> By train on January 23rd, several of them hid under seats to avoid buying tickets. Oh, so they were a fucking cheap bunch of cross-country skiers. They were like, I'm not buying tickets for this train. No. <laughs> At least five had cameras and the pictures they took show a lively and strikingly handsome group of young people having the adventure of their lives, skiing, laughing, playing in the snow and mugging for the camera. After two days on trains, another day by bus, then in the back of a woodcutter's truck and finally by ski, guided on a horse-drawn sleigh, they finally slept in an abandoned logging camp called Second Northern. There, Yuri Yudin had a flare-up of sciatica that forced him to pull out of the trip. The next day, January 28th, he turned back, while the remaining nine set off towards the mountains. The plan was to end up at the tiny village of Vizhai around February the 12th and telegram the university sports club that they had arrived safely. The expected telegram never came. At first, the University Sports Club assumed the group had just been held up. There had been reports of a heavy snowstorm in the mountains. But after several days passed, families of the group began placing frantic phone calls to the university and to the local bureau of the Communist Party. And on February 20th, a search was launched. On the 25th, the students found ski tracks. And the next day, they discovered the skier's tent. Above the tree line on a remote mountain that Soviet officials referred to as Hyat. 1079 and that the manzai called Kolat Sikal or Dead Mountain. There was no one inside. The tent was partially collapsed and largely buried in snow. After digging it out, the search party saw that the tent appeared to have been deliberately slashed in several places. Yet inside, everything was neat and orderly. The skiers' boots, axes and other equipment were arranged on either side of the door. Food was laid out as if about to be eaten. There was a stack of wood for heating a stove and clothes, cameras and journals. About 100 feet downhill, the search party found very distinct footprints of eight or nine people walking, not running, toward the tree line. Almost all the prints were of stockinged feet, some even bare. One person appeared to be wearing a single ski boot. Some of the prints indicated that the person was either barefoot or in socks because you could see the toes, a searcher later testified. 
the party followed the prince downhill for six to seven hundred yards until they vanished near the tree line. We're just going to stop you there. I want to ask you initially, what do you think is after happening here? Um, initially, I think that they, I don't know, like the slashes in the tent, it makes me lead to believe that maybe someone attacked them and they ran away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know, like wild animals in the area. I don't know what's like native to there. Is there predators that could attack them like that and cause them to run away? Mm-hmm. The fact that their food was laid out about to be eaten but didn't seem to be touched is kind of strange in that theory yeah. because then you'd assume yeah. that the predator or whatever would go back and eat that. Um, so I don't know, like... It's all very mysterious so far. It's all very, very mysterious and very helpful, seeing as we do a podcast called Mysteries of the Unexplained. I will continue. The next morning, searchers found the bodies of the mandolin player, Krivionchenko, and the student, Doroshenko, under a tall cedar tree at the edge of the forest. They were lying next to a dead fire, wearing only underwear. Hmm. 12 to 15 feet up the tree were some recently broken branches and on the trunk bits of skin and torn clothes were found. Later that day, a search party discovered the bodies of Dyatlov and Kalmogorova. Both were further up the slope, facing in the direction of the tent, their fists tightly clenched. They seemed to have been trying to get back there. The four bodies were autopsied, while the search for the others continued. The medical examiner noted a number of bizarre features. Krivonichenko had blackened fingers and third-degree burns on his shin and a foot. Inside his mouth was a chunk of flesh that he had bitten off his own right hand. Doroshenko's body had burned hair on one side of the head and a charred sock. All the bodies were covered with bruises, abrasions, scratches and cuts, as was a fifth body, that of the recent graduate Slobodin, which was discovered a few days later. Like Dyatlov and Kolomorkova, Slobodin was on the slope leading back to the tent, with a sock on one foot and a felt booty on the other. His autopsy noted a minor fracture to his skull. By now, a homicide investigation was underway, led by a prosecutor in his mid-30s named Lev Ivanov. Toxicology tests were done, witness testimony taken, diagrams and maps made of the scene and evidence gathered and forensically analysed. The tents and its contents were helicoptered out of the mountains and set up again inside a police station. This led to a key discovery. A seamstress who came to the station to do uniform fitting happened to notice that the slashes in the tent had been made from the inside. Something had happened that night to the skiers for them to cut their way out of the tent and flee into the night. In 20 below zero temperatures, in bare feet or socks, they were not novices to the winter mountains. They would have known and been acutely aware of the fatal consequences. 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 Sorry, are you okay? I just, you know in some words you're looking at them and it's like it's the first time you've seen them. That's just what happened to me there. Consequences. Thank you, Sharon, of leaving the tent half-dressed in those conditions. This is the central and apparently inexplicable mystery of the incident. Four bodies remain missing. 
In early May, when the snow began to melt, a Manzai hunter and his dog came across the remains of a makeshift snow den in the woods, 250 feet from the cedar tree. A floor of branches laid in a deep hole in the snow. Pieces of tattered clothing were found strewn about. Black cotton sweatpants with the right leg cut off. The left half of a woman's sweater. Another search team arrived and using avalanche probes around the den, they brought up a piece of flesh. Excavation uncovered the four remaining victims, lying together in a rocky stream bed under at least 10 feet of snow. The autopsies revealed catastrophic injuries to three of them. Thibault Brignol's skull was fractured so severely that pieces of bone had been driven into his brain. Zolotaryov and Dobinia had had crushed chests with multiple broken ribs and the autopsy reported that a massive hemorrhage in the right ventricle of Dobinia's heart had probably killed her. The medical examiner said the damage was similar to what is typically seen as the result of an impact of an automobile moving at high speed. Yet none of the bodies had external penetrating wounds. Though Zolotaryov's was missing its eyes and Dobinia's was missing its eyes, tongue and part of the upper lip. Careful inventory of clothing recovered from the bodies revealed that some of these victims were wearing clothes taken off or cut off the bodies of others. And a laboratory found that several items emitted unnaturally high levels of radiation. A radiological expert testified that because the bodies had been exposed to running water for months, these levels of radiation must originally have been many times greater. On May 28th, Ivanyev abruptly closed the investigation. His role was to determine whether a crime had been committed, not to clarify what had actually happened, and he concluded that homicide was not a factor. Ivanyev ended his report with a non-explanation that has bedeviled Dyatlov researches ever since. It should be concluded that the cause of the hiker's demise was an overwhelming force which they were not able to overcome. Isn't that so like they, something happened and they couldn't get past it and they died? <laughs> there was what right. right. I'm after doing all me reports yeah. and all that, right, and everything right. and all that and all that. Yeah. They asked me to do and all right. right, right. Now what I come up with is that there was some sort of a thing that happened yes. that was really strong, like it was actually very strong. Big, like, like it was like, oh mammy, it was like, oh, oh mammy, this is strong. And they like they were like, Oh mammy, <laughs> this is very strong. And they were like, I can't do this, Shanice. And I was gone. <laughs> And they were gone then, gone. like, so it's over then, I don't know. Yeah, so I'll just send you the bill for that investigation and all my drawings and all. And I got a little notepad at, out of Flying Tiger and I did all my drawings in that. So I'm going to charge you for the 250 that I did me for that because I needed to buy that to do my investigations. So I'll send you the bill and all that. Yeah, uh, right, right, okay. Right. So that's it done then. We're on to the next thing, yeah? Right, right, all right. Right, okay. Thanks, you're very good. Tell your ma I was asking for her. <laughs> 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 the American people are going to be like, what is wrong with them? Oh, what? 
big shout out to all our Dublin homies. Yeah, we lived in Dublin for a number of years and worked with a lot of uh, inner city Dublin people, which we love and hold close to our hearts and wish I had that accent naturally. Real dubs and uh, they are our good friends and we were always, they were like, oh, you're a crowd of muckshites and all. Oh, you're from the country. Because the girls were like, um, if you're from outside Dublin, obviously you grew up with like no running water and you had to shit in a bucket outside. Now, that is the way me and Will grew up, but they didn't know that at the time. In classic Soviet style, a number of officials who had little to do with the tragedy were either punished or fired, including the director of the university and the chairman of its sports club, the local communist party secretary and two chairmen of the workers unions and an inspector. The investigative files, photographs and journals were classified and the area around Dead Mountain was placed off limits to skiers and outdoor enthusiasts for years. The tent was stored but eventually became mouldy and they had to throw it out. The saddle in the mountains which the skiers were headed for but never reached was named Dyatlov Pass. I love that, they just fire random people. They were like, you, you, you and you, you're fired. And that's the end of it there now. And even though you had absolutely nothing to do with it, didn't even know these skiers were going on the trip, everyone will be happier if we just fired <laughs> The victims' families were left deeply dissatisfied. Many of them wrote to officials, including Khrushchev, demanding a more thorough investigation. But nothing was done. And the mysterious deaths of the nine skiers subsided into relative obscurity. But in 1990, the prosecutor Ivanyov, who had retired, published an article in which he claimed, while compiling his 1959 report, he'd been pressured not to include his views on what happened. The article, titled The Enigma of the Fireballs. I don't know, that's not even a Russian accent. You say that well. No. Um, the Enigma of the Fireballs. In- How about <laughs> that? How about Meet Me Outside? How about that? <laughs> Say it in your Russian accent. Do I have to pay you more? Shut up, you stupid Irish girl. <laughs> the enigma of the fireballs. Oh, fireballs. Said that the skiers had been killed by heat rays or balls of fire associated with UFOs. In his original examination of the scene, he had found trees with unusual burn marks, which confirmed that some kind of heat ray, say, or powerful force whose nature is completely unknown, to us at least, acted selectively on specific objects. In this case, people. The last photograph in Krivonshenko's camera showed flares and streaks of light against a black background. Now, Will, I did put in some of these photos for you at the top of the show here at the notes. And I'm going to say that um, there are some creepy looking photos, but then every photo on this thing is really creepy and ominous looking, isn't it? These ones, even yeah. when they're just setting off and apparently they're like, oh, look at us, we're going on a trip. They're, they look, they almost look like ghosts mm. even in them. But then when you know what happened to them, I think it's kind of creepy. Some of the last photographs from the film, there are these weird like light marks across pictures and stuff. And they were like, oh, like that means that there was like fireballs or like mm. flashes of lights. But it's very hard to say. They're very bad quality. And um, cameras back in those days would have been kind of unstable as you came to the end of the roll of film. So I don't really think it tells us much. 
So I'm gonna put those photos on for the Patreons. Throw it up on the Facebook group as well there because they're actually really creepy and interesting photos. So your man comes out anyway, um, the fellow who initially investigated in 1990 and he wrote an article called The Enigma of the Fireballs saying that there was some kind of UFO activity there. Um, and But by then you see official files had been released and in the decades since the case has become, William, one of the most celebrated mysteries of the Soviet era. 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 Why can't I say normal words? Three letter words today. I'm turning into you. <laughs> In 2000, relatives and friends of the victims established the Dyatlov Group Memorial Foundation, whose purpose is to honour the memory of the skiers and to seek the truth. So Russians generally favour one of two theories. Number one, the skiers died because they had stumbled into an area where secret weapons were being tested. Or alternatively, the party was killed by mercenaries, probably American spies. Yes, it's always the Americans. The idea that a missile launch of some kind went disastrously wrong, inflicting severe injuries on some of the skiers and forcing the group to flee their tent, at which point they either froze to death or were killed by military observers, is the first possibility. Yuri Yudin, whose sciatica compelled him to abandon the trip, uh, he's the guy that turned back, kind of like at base camp kind of a thing, mm-hmm. likewise maintained that the deaths were not natural. Not long before he died in 2003, he declared that his teammates had been taken from the tent at gunpoint and murdered. Dobinina, he said, may have had her tongue cut out by the killers because she was the most outspoken of the group. She's your one with the pigtails and happy out until, you know, this happened. So he was part of, he was the one um, that turned back and he Mm -hmm. came and said that they had been taken out at gunpoint and killed. But I mean, he has no evidence for that. Like that was just his opinion. Proponents of the weapons test theory cite claims from people in the region that they had seen flashes of light or moving balls of fire in the direction of the mountains. In 2008, a three-foot-long piece of metal was found in the area, according to the Dyatlov Foundation, which took possession of it. The metal is part of a Soviet ballistic missile. One official who worked on the case asked a superior at the time why they were testing for radiation and was quickly told to shut up. Another theory was that somebody or some bodies was on the pass that night also and that the skiers weren't alone. The theory, however, is not consistent with what was found at the site. There was no evidence that other people had been there. Snow does not lie. It would have been close to impossible to erase signs of the people and equipment involved in killing the group and restaging the scene. Besides, why make the staging so elaborate and so bizarre? Why scatter the bodies around the landscape, cutting off the clothing of some and dress others in it? Build a snow den, bury four bodies in ten feet of snow, light a fire and climb a tree to break branches, leaving skin on the bark. This theory would also suggest that there was secret weapons base in the area or that an errant missile had exploded over it. Yet despite the mass declassification of documents from Soviet era and diligent searches of Dyatlov enthusiasts, no such evidence has emerged. The KGB theory centres on Zolot Daryov, the man who was foisted on the group at the last minute. It is certainly possible that he had a KGB link. His service record in the Second World War had holes and inconsistencies, and his sudden inclusion certainly seems suspicious. Still, a KGB connection, even if proved, wouldn't mean much. Many people were low-level informants at the time, and the idea that the CIA would have chosen a place like Dead Mountain for a rendezvous strains credulity. 
another class of theories considers a variety of natural disasters. An avalanche, perhaps, struck the tent, causing the crushing injuries to three of the victims and forcing the whole group to cut their way out and head to the forest for shelter. But no avalanche debris was found. A ski pole holding up the front of the tent was still standing and the original investigation determined that the slope was too shallow to generate an avalanche. Now that is really important, we're going to find out later. Besides, the injuries to the three victims found in the stream bed were totally incapacitating. They could never have made it there unassisted. It was more than a mile from the tent. But the tracks leading downhill showed no signs of anyone being dragged so the fatal injuries must have come after everyone had left the tent. Various hypotheses considered in the 1959 inquest have also been raked over. Carbon monoxide poisoning from the heater, sudden madness caused by consuming bad alcohol or hallucinogenic mushrooms that the manzai sometimes hang on trees to dry, or even murder by the manzai themselves, if, for instance, the party had strayed onto sacred land but the autopsies ruled out the first two of these. And when the original investigators interviewed the local Manzai, they found them well disposed towards Russians and quite believable. The Manzai had provided valuable help in the search and they told the investigators that the area was not sacred. On the contrary, it was considered windy, barren and quite worthless. By far, the most entertaining theory is that the party was attacked by a Yeti. The final photograph found in Thibaut Brignol's camera has become famous, a dark figure advancing through the snowy forest, hunched and menacing with no facial features. But many put this simply down to the unreliability of camera film at the time, especially near the end of the role and in such extreme conditions. After many years of calls from the families for a new investigation, it was reopened a few years ago. A young prosecutor in Yekaterinburg Andrei Kuryakov was put in charge. In 2019, he organised a winter expedition to the site. Using photogrammetry of the pictures taken in 1959, they tried to establish the precise location of the tent. The spot they settled on was several hundred feet from a cairn marking the previously accepted location on a steeper section of the slope. Combing through historical data, the investigators determined that weather conditions on the mountain that night were even more extreme than had been thought. The skiers were engulfed in a storm with winds of up to 65 miles an hour and temperatures running at about minus 30 Fahrenheit. As evening fell, they were probably unsure of their precise location. From the outset, Kuryakov adopted an intentionally narrow scope dismissing 72 of the original 75 explanations for what may have happened. A large class of these 75 versions are conspiracy theories alleging that the authorities were somehow involved in the incident. He said when announcing the investigation, We have already proved that this is absolutely false. This left the investigation with three natural occurrences to consider an avalanche, a hurricane and a slab of snow sliding over the tent. Last July, Kuryakov held a televised press conference in which he told his audience that the last of these was the definitive explanation. Two photographs taken by the party at around 5pm while they pitched the tent show that they cut deeply into the snowpack at right angles to the slope, forming a hollow. They had picked a spot where the mountain peak offered some shelter from the strongest winds. Later in the evening, Kuryakov said a snow slab detached from the slope above and buried most of the tent, 
pinning down the occupants and possibly causing injuries. Fearing that a full-scale avalanche was imminent, the skiers cut their way out of the downslope side of the tent and fled to a rock ridge 150 feet away, which Kuryakovs termed a natural avalanche limiter. But the big avalanche didn't come, and in pitch darkness, they were unable to find their way back to the tent and took shelter in the woods a mile away. Kuryakov tested this theory by blindfolding a man and woman and asking them and leading them 90 feet downhill from a tent. Asked to find their way back, they quickly went astray. The task would have been even more difficult in a blizzard, with most of the tent buried in the snow. I reviewed this hypothesis with Ethan Green, who has a PhD in the physics of heat and mass transfer in snow. Like, what? It's not just mad that you have a whole doctorate in the physics of heat and mass transfer in snow. Well, fair play to you, Ethan Green. He (laughs) suggested that the party's decision to pitch the tent in the wind shadow of the peak made it likely that they were cutting into a so-called wind slab, an accumulation of hard snow even more dangerous than typical snow slab. If the slab simply slid over the tent and halted, Without developing into full-fledged avalanche, he said, the slab might not be visible 25 days later, because that's when the tent was found. Even the fissure in the snowpack would probably have been erased by the elements. If a three-foot-thick slab moved over the tent, each skier's body would have been covered by more than a thousand pounds. The massive weight prevented them from retrieving their boots or warm clothing and forced them to cut their way out of the downslope side of the tent. The two Swiss researchers believe that the snow slab probably caused the terrible injuries to three of the skiers found at the snow den. But this remains unlikely, given the distance of those bodies from the tent. So you've got to remember that they were like a mile away. Mm-hmm. Kurikov's explanation was more ingenious. The nine skiers retreated downhill, taking shelter under the cedar tree and building a fire. Because the young trees nearby were icy and wet, somebody climbed to the cedar higher up to break the branches, hence the skins and scraps of clothing found on the trunk. The fire they built in these conditions was not enough to save them, however. The two most poorly dressed of the group died first. The burned skin on their bodies came from desperate efforts to seek warmth on the fire. This would suggest that a piece of flesh Krivyanchenko bit from his finger was probably a result of delirium that takes over somebody who's dying of hypothermia or perhaps from an attempt to test for sensation in the frostbitten hand. Now I just want to say, you're not going to bite off a chunk of your own hand and be like, yeah, definitely got frostbite. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I can't. I wouldn't. It wouldn't be my first go to. No, I'd probably no. do a few pinches first. Yeah, and see pinch and um, go from that. However, you know, I haven't been in this type of setup before, so I can't really say no. what I would and wouldn't do. I don't think you'd even get to the point of dying from hypothermia because you get so cold that you nearly fell over in one of my apartments because I didn't have central heating on at one time. Mm. So I don't think that this would be the excursion for you to be going on. This is true. This is true. And you, like, I definitely would have the capacity to cut out your tongue so I wouldn't have to listen to your <laughs> bullshit. If you, if the two of us were dying up on a ski slope and I was like, Will, do you remember the time that we went there and this happened? Will, do you remember the time when we went there? Will, I love you. I love you. You're my best friend. You'd be like, I'm taking my Stanley knife and I'm cutting your fucking tongue out so I can die in peace. I thank you. 
Yes, I think that would that would happen. But I'd say it'd be more so nearly at the start of the trip. I would just do that <laughs> just to kind of get you to shut up so I could enjoy the trip. Might be able to reattach. I put it on ice. We might be able to reattach it after the trip. Would it explain why you cut little bits of my clothes off, like the left hand of my jumper and put that on or like my right sock and put that on? Because that all that stuff happened and that's really weird. Now, I suppose if you were fucking delirious and you were like, you had hypothermia, maybe you'd be trying to do a little fashion show or something? Maybe, yeah. Like, I mean, boredom as well, Annie. I'm sure a phone signal wouldn't work. I wouldn't have grinder. I wouldn't have my iPad or anything <laughs> like that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to try to do a drag race style um, challenge of like make an like, Alaganza outfit Snow Queen realness and I would try do something like that I suppose just to make the time pass Here on the Diat Love Pass we have William channeling Snow Queen Alaganza wearing half of Annie's clothes and, and fashioning a purse out of her tongue which he cut out at the start of the trip Thank you <laughs> You wear it You wear it well the surviving skiers cut the clothes off their dead comrades and dressed themselves in the remnants. At some point, the group split up. Three skiers, including Dyatlov, tried to return to the tent and soon froze to death as they struggled uphill. The other four, who were better dressed <laughs> in their snow queen oligonza, decided mm-hmm. to build a snow down to shelter in overnight. They needed deep snow, which they found in a ravine a couple of hundred feet away. But unfortunately, the spot they picked lay above a stream, a tributary of the Lazva River. The stream, which never freezes, had hollowed out a deep icy tunnel and the group's digging caused its roof to collapse, throwing them onto the rocky stream bed and burying them in 10 to 15 feet of snow. The pressure of tons of snow forcing them against the rocks caused traumatic injuries to the group and accounts for the traumatic damage to the missing tongue, eyes and lip probably resulted from scavenging by small animals and from decomposition and from willing cutting my tongue out to start a trip. <laughs> Kuryakov's reconstruction of events made a single plausible narrative out of previously mystifying anomalies. But what of the radiation? Well, he said the expedition took place less than two years after the world's third worst nuclear accident after Chernobyl and Fukushima, which occurred at the Mayak nuclear complex. A tank of radioactive waste exploded and a radioactive plume some 200 miles long spread northwards. Krivonyshenko had worked at the facility and helped with the cleanup and another skier came from a village in the contaminated zone. Kuryakov closed his press conference by declaring, Formally, this is it. The case is now closed. Go, go. For many people, nature alone cannot explain the tragedy of this magnitude. Sure enough, the conclusions were greeted with scorn, especially by the families of the dead. Natalia Varsigova, a Moscow journalist who had covered the subject for many years, also rejected these conclusions. Two years ago, I thought that the prosecutor Andrei Koryakov really wanted to know the truth, she said to me in an email, but now I doubt it. I don't believe in an avalanche. After the Swiss report came out, she published an article rejecting it as well. These theoreticians conclusions are supported by mathematical calculations, formulas and diagrams, but the local manzai, numerous tourists and organ... Is this a Russian accent? Yeah, uh, debatable. And organisers of snowmobile tours who have never seen avalanches on this slope are unlikely to agree with them. 
A month after the press conference, Kuryakov was reprimanded for holding it without authorization, and in October he was removed from his post. The most appealing part of this scenario is that Dyatlov Party's actions no longer seem irrational. The snow slab, according to Green, would probably have made loud cracks and rumbles as it fell across the tent, making an avalanche seem imminent. Karyakov noted that although the skiers made an error in the placement of the tent, everything they did subsequently was textbook. They conducted an emergency evacuation to ground that would be safe from an avalanche. They took shelter in the woods. They started a fire. They dug a snow cave. Had they been less experienced, they might have remained near the tent, dug it out and survived. But avalanches are by far the biggest risk in the mountains in winter. And the more experience you have, the more you fear them. Was it the skiers' expertise that was ultimately to doom them? Or did they meet their doom? In a way, we will never truly know. The end. Ooh, it truly is a mystery of the unexplained. It truly, truly is. And I would like to say that some of this article was taken from May 17, 2021 issue of The New Yorker called Cold Case. Um, I was kind of fascinated with this and not, not at all um, convinced by your man's explanation as to what happened there in the late, in the most recent investigation. Like, okay, if a snow slab started coming, right? And if they started hearing grumblings and rumblings, mm-hmm. like, would they, would you not grab a, like a coat or some, mm-hmm. uh, or some boots? They know that they're going to die if they go out in their underwear. Like, they know if they're going to die if they go out in very, very little clothes, which is what they had on them. And, like, they hear a noise, something starts coming. Okay, why wouldn't they open the door to the tent? Okay, maybe slashing your way out. But some of the slashes I read in another article weren't big enough to get out from. Like, they, it's not as if they all went out through the slashes. And why wouldn't you just grab a coat? Because without a coat or something heavy, you're, you're, you know you're doomed from the get-go. There's no point in even fucking leaving because you're dead. And a ski pole holding up the front of the tent was, like, perfectly intact, still upright. Well, I just think it's... Uh, that wasn't addressed in this is the fact that if you were in that type of, of environment and there was a blizzard outside and it was minus 30, I would not be sleeping in my underwear. Yeah, I know, right? You'd but be then, sleeping in your full get-up, like, yeah, I would assume. That's that's what I was thinking too. But I did watch a programme one time. <laughs> was this on Lost or something? I don't know what it was. That their clothes, like, got wet. And then if your clothes get wet instead, like, you can't sleep in them. So you'd actually use body warmth to warm back up while you try, like, uh, dry your clothes maybe they were all just having a big orgy inside in the tent maybe that's what happened maybe they were but yeah you would throw something on you I suppose maybe you wouldn't get to hear all the snow cracking if there was a blizzard outside yeah um, so maybe that maybe it is hard to know I like I just find it very bizarre the whole thing very bizarre there's definitely like this weird kind of whether it was like some sort of uh, missile test that went wrong and they were just in the path of it or it was some sort of 
like maybe otherworldly fucking occurrence that happened. Yeah. I just kind of find it weird. And especially like the parts where, where some of their body parts were taken and, you know, their clothes like taken off. Yeah, it cause you to go crazy, I suppose, the snow and stuff, uh, the cold temperatures. But the radiation, like, like I presume when they did the tests of the radiation, like you would be able to do a baseline of the area as well and uh, match that yeah. up. Like, you know, yeah. I can't, I don't think. And if it was radiation levels were that high, like the area should be closed off and all the local people should like have also really high levels of radiation. Yeah. They were only there for a short period of time. Yeah, exactly. Well, I like, okay, I suppose there was not really anyone living in this area apart from the indigenous people. But like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like if you did a baseline of like the radiation and the water levels around them, like I think their clothes uh, had high, high, high amounts of radiation in them. And plus the burns to the bodies of those victims were quite localized and stuff they get they got burned because they were they were so freezing that they shoved themselves in the fire kind of a thing but then wouldn't there be extensive burns to them I don't know it seems really and the tongue seemed to have been they said cut out in the post-mortem and the autopsies there was something weird going on as well because it noted very briefly like tongue removed or tongue missing blah blah but they didn't say what the uh, state of the surrounding tissue was because the state of the surrounding tissue would tell you whether it was animals or not because they wouldn't just cleanly take something like there'd be marks and stuff plus right if how come none of them were dead in the tent like if a big fucking slab of stuff had come down and pinned you down how come some of them weren't underneath it like they were all out of the tent so Mm. yeah it's bizarre the whole thing is very bizarre i did it does smell a bit fishy they were all able to get like a mile away. So some of the, they'd get pinned in a tent, but nobody got hurt. Nobody was dragged down a mile away. Like they all walked a mile away from the tent and then they died. No, no, honey. No, honey. No, I no, I will not take it, honey. I am not accepting it, boo boo. <laughs> and with that, we move on to the next Um. What's the next, what do you call the thing? The bit, the next... Segment. Section. Segment. segment. What is wrong with you today? And I, I don't know, maybe because we stopped. Maybe because we stopped. Maybe because we stopped about a million times and it's now two hours later. No, get it together, and, bitch. You're and, like Lego, bitch. You're all over the floor today. You're in bits and pieces, <laughs> bitch. Hey guys! What a beautiful day! Ask thing! Hi! Hey! Didn't I do a beautiful job there today? How come I'm never allowed to sing the fucking team song? Is what I want to know. You told me the first few times I did that, you told me we can't do that and I'm going to edit that out of the show. But now, now that everyone has heard what a beautiful fucking voice I have and everyone loves my singing, no, I'm not going to hand, I'm not going to hand my light over to you. I'm not going to let you steal the light that is me and my beautiful voice. You can back off, bitch. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Lads, we just had an unbelievable, unprecedented, I would say now, answers to um, my call-out for questions here. So I'm just going to have to get into it. Will, we need, like, we need mm-hmm. truth. We need truth in these answers, yeah. okay? We don't want any oh, of your yes, fucking yes, around. Yes, 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 No bother. I will answer every question you give me. <sighs> Do I go from the top or the bottom? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, the bo- the top, because you lose track, you know, and you. You're all cockeyed. Go on. <laughs> if Will were a flower, what flower would he be? Thank you, Chris Matlick, for your question. Thank you, Chris. Um, I would be a ghost orchid, because they are very rare. They also don't have any leaves as well as that, Chris, because I don't need anything else other than myself. Um, the beautiful flower that I am. Thank you. Thank you. Alison M. Scott, hey girl, if you could commit a crime, you'd definitely get away with it. What would you do? Um, That is a good one. I would assume the identity of Annie Gann and take out multiple loans and spend <laughs> the money on absolute shite. Do you know, like, like the top of the range iPhones that you don't really need. Do, you, do we really need a smartphone? No. Um, I would just buy absolute shite. Brazilian butt lift. Designer clothes, which is the biggest rip off the world's ever seen. Um, just absolute shite. Yeah. <laughs> Tanya Middleton asks. Thanks. Uh, well, if you could live in a different time period, which would it be and why? I have answered this before. Um, I would probably live in 
at the time of when the pyramids were built to see if there was any sort of hokey pokey shenanigans going on that were paranormal <laughs> at the time or was it all above board? I would probably be a pharaoh's wife. Thank you. Mary Newman Lothian says Madonna or Cheryl. Girl, do you know him at all? Do you believe If this bitch doesn't shut the fuck up I will cut her tongue out <laughs> Philip Norris says If you could have any other Oh, yeah, how dare you If you could have another podcast host from history Instead of the wonderful Annie Don't even try, Philip Who would it be and why would you? Oh gosh, that's a good one Um... Do you know what? You mightn't listen to them, but I would have Trixie and Katya from RuPaul's Strike Race. They have a podcast <laughs> and their gas. Um, and I'd have them because it'd just be so much more fun. I'm so sick of hearing <laughs> about those bitches. Jared Albright says, what are the limitations of the questions? For example, would Will like to suck or suck a I think there's going to have to be some beeping out down mm-hmm. here. Or does he prefer or does he prefer to lick a woman or a man? Jared, maybe I shouldn't have the privilege <laughs> maybe of asking Maybe Jared can go fuck himself. Ha- what is Jared saying? You would be blocked from this group, Jared, if you're not careful. Jared, Jared, Jared your mother. Jared. Do you talk to your mother with that tone and tone? Jared, what is this question? No, shame him now, Annie. Shame him. Ask the question. What is the question? Um, I don't know. He's kind of asking like a a, a, a question about the question. Does would Will like to do this? Would Will like to do that? Maybe ask him on a date, Jared, and find out what he'd like to do. Okay, next question. Brittany Bishop Bloodworth. Oh, wonderful, Will. What is one of the most memorable moments from your childhood? Could be fun. Funny, scary, embarrassing, etc. Uh, memorable moments from my childhood. Oh, there, uh, this is a funny one. We lived at the foot of a large hill slash mountain. And when it, it would snow in winter, when we used to always get snow in winter in Ireland, which we don't anymore because of fucking global warming. But um, we used to go up the top of the mountain and slide down on it on coal, <laughs> on coal bags, like plastic empty coal bags, right? And it was quite steep. And then my cousins used to come up sometimes as well. And one time my cousin, who I won't name, but she came up and we went down on it and she was always laughing and we basically like slid into a hedge and then we were laughing for a minute there for so much and that she actually pissed herself but we were like in twos like we're in twos so she pissed and the snow went yellow and it went all over me and we couldn't stop laughing and couldn't move because she had pissed so much (laughs) oh that was funny Another one actually was the time when we thought we'd seen Bigfoot down near our house here, but then then it wasn't actually Bigfoot and then all the parents got involved and then it became a big actual thing and they did a search party and everything. What? <laughs> we just got a bit afraid because we were in a wooded area. And what was it? What was it? That was other cousins. What was it? Uh, nothing. I think it was just like a trick of our imagination. Oh my God, just fucking dramatic children. There was like four sets of parents looking for a uh, Bigfoot. An Irish Bigfoot. Your parents actually went out looking for Irish Bigfoot. Okay, this is a whole other podcast. I'm going to have to move on with questions. Trish Arnold, hey girl, says, is there a mystery or true crime you want to have the answer to? Um, All of them on the show, Trish, but is there one particularly will that you want an answer to? Yes, I would like to know, did Jesus rise from the dead? 
after his execution on the third day he well, rose again. <laughs> did he? Did he now? Oh, yeah. Where's the receipts? <laughs> Where's the receipts? Who was the cashier on the day? What time was the transaction done at? Was there a sale on? Could you show me the garment, please? Why is the garment a little bit stainy? We can't return it if there's stains. I would like all the receipts, please. I will take them to the back office. I will go over them. I will go on my lunch break, which I'm entitled to by law. And then I will come back, review it with a cup of tea. I will talk to Wendy in accounts and we will get back to you. Matt Kavalik, which affliction would you rather tolerate? Teeny functional penises for fingers or exclaiming Anigan is the coolest for every sneeze? Just to clarify the functionality of the little peni, they're totally floppy unless excited. In that case, you can have little boner chopsticks. Mm, this is a tough one, Matt. Thanks for your question. Sorry, Trish. Thanks for yours <laughs> as well. And Brittany. Jared, you're dead to me. Um... <laughs> Matt, I think that I would go with, now you might be shocked, but I do have, I have rhyme and reason for this. I would go with Annie Gan is the coolest after every sneeze. But Matt, I would then get a lifelong subscription, prescription for um, antihistamines because I don't really sneeze that much anyway. And if I had the antihistamines, it would keep any hay fever at bay and hopefully I'd, I'd only minimally have to say any gan is the coolest. Oh, you think you're such a clever bitch. You think you're such a clever bitch. Denise Geller says, if you were a dog, what dog breed would you be? If I was a dog, what? Wait, no, say that again. If you... Oh, sorry, if I was a dog, what breed would I be? Oh, sorry, I would... Yeah, it's quite simple. If I was a dog, I would be a Bichon because they're quite needy, but they're also very loved, like Ted. Debbie Debbie Robertson says, what would be is your porn star name? Oh, this is a good one. Um, That's a tough one now. Um, um, oh, Annie, I don't know this now gonna have to start a section on the facebook page and uh, we want your suggestions you're gonna have to help will find his porn star name so please write into the facebook group with suggestions thank you esmeralda goodjunpin asks what's your favorite sandwich and why what a good question oh esmeralda thank you my favorite sandwich would be like roasted chicken on like a <laughs> poppy seed bread with real butter none of that fake shite um, and then like a bit of salad rocket leaves on it some mayonnaise some fresh sun-dried tomatoes well they aren't fresh because they've been sun-dried um, some gorgeous little bit of cheese on that as well just just sprinkled on it um, maybe maybe just a little bit of tender loving as it the sandwich is cut in half as well Okay, thank you, Delia. And Ruth Newcomb, thanks, because I asked you. Thank you, Ruth, because I asked you to ask Will this the last week. Who is the most inappropriate person you've ever fancied? Oh, um, maybe Benedict Cumberbatch. Will, that's, that's, not, that's not inappropriate. It is, because he's rotten. <laughs> he is rotten. And with that... Oh, 
wait now, wait now. I want to answer the drag name because I just found a thing, a formula. So we'll find it out together. So it's the first letter of my first name, which is W. So yeah. di- diamond. And the first letter yeah. of my last name, which will be O. So that is, I'll just find the letter O here now. Uh, <laughs> mangina. Diamond mangina. Oh, that's actually quite <laughs> nice, actually. Yeah, we'll go with that. Diamond Mangina. I feel like you need a middle name though as well. It needs to be Diamond something Mangina, you know? No. No, I'm Diamond Mangina. Um, Well, thank you for interrupting my fucking coming news section with your stupid drag name. A reporter for ITV has become the news himself after losing his temper and shouting, I'll f*** bang you out at a man who he claims interrupted his piece to the camera. Callum Watkinson asked the man if he had a job himself, then suggested it was likely to be either at McDonald's or Footlocker, if so. A 53 second clip of the altercation was posted to Twitter on Friday, showing Watkinson swear at the man who he accused of walking into his shot. ITV has now apologised for any offence, said that they'd spoken to the reporter and the matter was being dealt with internally. It happened on Broad Street in Birmingham City Centre where Watkin told the man Don't f- do it and I won't come to your workplace and start f- you, you f- idiot Get behind me again and I'll f- bang you out, mate Why don't you go and get a job and then I'll come behind you and stop being an idiot Do you know how hard it is to broadcast live to a million people? Do you know how f- hard it is to concentrate? It's quite hard without someone in the background going Oh my god, was this you that this happened to? Wilkinson works for ITV Central, which covers the Midlands. Posting on Twitter, one viewer said, I'm a Brummie, therefore from a city whose foundations are built on working class people's jobs and proud of it. I trust ITV News will be asking for Colin Watkinson's resignation for treating people with such arrogance and disrespect. Another report, fair enough, he should tell the lad not to do what he did, but to threaten him and also mock low paid workers at Foot Locker and McDonald's is absolutely shameful. And ITV spokesperson said we are dealing with the matter internally. We apologise for any offence the comments have caused and will not be commenting any further at this time. And I'd like to say to you, Will, get in the way of my podcast again and I'll bang you out, mate. That's all from Billy's Bizarre News. Please join us next week. Wow, that was very rough. You're getting very (laughs) smutty, Annie. The tongue on you. You're getting there, hanging around with the wrong crowd, smoking fags and with a leather jacket on you outside the school. You'd want to cop on. That girl, I'm like that girl off uh, Greece, like, you know, the kind of rough one that gets pregnant. And like, the, the, you know, like they're all like, she's like, she's the bad one. But the worst thing she does is smoke a fag behind the bike flex. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Reckless bitch. Thanks, Annie, for that. You're very welcome. Thanks to all of you guys for listening this week. Thanks especially to our new patrons. You don't know how grateful we are, lads, because it's a hard old job being a podcaster these days and every second fucker has a microphone in his hand these days, don't they, Will? Yes, Annie, but we don't judge. Let them all come along and try to get to the bottom of the mysteries that we get to the bottom of, close the cases, the families come up and thank us afterward. Annie, that was about five years ago. Leave that girl alone, will you? Keep on going saying her saying her catchphrases. Leave her alone, Annie. She's got a, a music video now. She's doing better than the two of us, I tell you that.
<laughs> well, if that's your level of success, is the catch me outside, girl? That's your that's your <laughs> level that you want to aspire to, Annie. I yeah, I don't know, Annie, if we have anything in common anymore, and I shall not, I shall not be coming around to your house for Christmas dinner this year. I want to be the catch me outside girl. Now, please stop crushing my dreams. Please step off my gown. If you would like to get more content, you can sign up to our Patreon at Mysteries of the Unexplained Pod, where for $5 a month, you can get extra episodes every Wednesday and all the bonus content that goes up there as well. Or you can just support the show by giving $2 a month and we'll get a shout on the show as well. And if you don't have the funds to support that, that's no problem at all you can leave us a review on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts um five stars only thank you <laughs> yes actually that would be super helpful because um you don't have to, you don't got the money things is hard these days you know we all are feeling the pinch but if you could just word of mouth or send us a little uh review or share us there lads because um that really does get help the algorithm to make its decisions. I don't even know what an algorithm is. You can also follow us on Instagram at Mysteries of the Unexplained Pod, or you can join our Facebook group, which is Mysteries of the Unexplained, where you can answer a little question, which is, what is the book that scared us as children? And the, answer's, the answer may be the name for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Will, for contributing to this week's podcast. I appreciate you as a person and as a colleague. <laughs> what script are you reading off? Auto cue camera number two, is it? <laughs> Roisin said I just have to put a disclaimer in because people are saying I'm being too mean here. <laughs> no, no. Three hours later, I would like to say thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Join us next week for more mysteries of the unexplained. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.